Well, I want you to take your Bibles and let's look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 14, beginning in verse 14. So wherever you are, if you are able, if you could stand in reverence to the reading of God's Word, uh, let's stand together. Verse 14, the Bible says, For he is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you, which were afar off, and to them that were nigh. For through him we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. Father, I just pray now that, Father, we would just glean from your word and your truth by your Spirit for your glory, and I'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If I use this term, unity, what comes to your mind when we think of unity? Well, unity, by definition alone, requires peace being the five or the fabric that causes unity to be reality. Now, one of the things that you and I must understand is there's a twofold Proclamation of peace contained within this passage. There's a proclamation of peace that has to do with our oneness or our peace that we entered into with the Father. But there's also a proclamation contained here about peace that we enter into one with another. Now the context is dealing again like we dealt with this morning. We saw the contrast between the Gentile and Israel in the Old Testament, and how God, through His intervening, saving work, has literally took all that was against the Gentile and now made it for the Gentile. And in doing so, made the Gentile and the Israel become on the same footing. In other words, through Christ, God sees them the same. So in other words, there's not Gentile believers and Jewish believers. Can I tell you? They're just believers. And so God does not distinguish between the two. But yet in that day in which Paul was writing, there was still a lot of conflict between those of Israel that had come to saving faith versus those of the Gentile nations that had come to saving faith. And Paul is dealing with here this mindset in which Israel would have, of even in their saving faith, placing themselves above the Gentiles. And, and Paul is dealing with this in this way. For the Gentiles not to look down on themselves or think that they got the second hand of God, but yet for the Gentile to see that because of what God done, what we looked at this morning, that they are now on equal footing. And being on equal footing, they can have unity not only with God, but with each other. And so that's the context of what we're looking at here. Now, I want you to see what brings this about. I want you to look first at the person of peace. 
Verse 14 starts off very clearly. For he being Christ is our peace. Now in the original Greek, it reads this way. For he is himself our peace. In other words, it's not something God gives us through Christ. I, I, I have people all the time say, well, God, I, I pray you'd give me peace. Well, guess what? If you have Christ, you already have peace. So God does not give you something. God gives you someone. And so that peace is not something God gives you out of his character. That peace is someone that God gave you in the person of the Lord Jesus because he is the Prince of Peace. And so when you receive Christ, listen, you don't have to search for peace. You don't have to wonder for peace. You don't have to try to achieve peace. You don't have to try to gain peace. If you're saved today, you already have peace. And not only do you have peace, the Bible says, you have the peace that comes out of God himself because Christ is himself your peace. And so the only basis of unity is the peace that is Christ Jesus. So if you and I have Christ, we have everything we need to be in unity one with another. And we have everything that we need to be in unity with him as our heavenly father. Jesus speaking to his disciples in John 16, he said, these things have I spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. So in other words, it is Christ who is our peace. And so when he deals with this, he's dealt with how Christ, through his blood, this morning, through his blood, has dealt with those things when we were afar off, he's made us nigh by his blood. And now he takes it one step further and says, for he himself is our peace. And so this is the person of peace. What are the partitions to peace? In other words, what are those things that Christ had to intervene and intercede for us that you and I could have peace that were keeping us from peace? Not just with the Father, but with one with another. Well, notice what it says here in the bottom verse 14. Hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Now, what this is dealing with, it goes back to what I alluded to this morning, that there was the court of the Gentiles, and then there was the court of Israel in the temple. And if you remember, I told you this morning, there was a wall three to four feet high that separated the Gentile from Israel. And the Gentile could not enter into the court of Israel, because remember, they were on the outside, they were not citizens of Israel in the Old Testament. Now, as I told you this morning, God's rectified that if you are saved today. But yet, here's what God had to do. God had to remove or literally abolish that wall that was between them. Now, you say, why is that? Well, there's a twofold thing. Picture here. The wall not only kept the Gentiles from the presence of God, that was the spiritual barrier, but it kept the Gentiles from fellowshipping with Israel, that was a physical barrier. So in other words, the Lord Jesus, in removing this barrier, removed not only the spiritual barrier, but also removed the physical barrier. So let's look first at the removal of the spiritual barrier. Here is Christ Jesus. He has broke down. He has abolished, if you will, the wall that was between them. The word broken here is in aris. means once and for all, Jesus has removed the barrier between 
So aren't you glad today that when you enter into salvation, once and for all, in a spiritual realm, God has removed every barrier that kept you away from Him in perfect fellowship. And so in other words, sin was dealt with. That was one of the barriers. In other words, the condemnation of the law was dealt with. There's one of the barriers. And so these barriers were removed and broken down by the Lord Jesus. Now, not only the spiritual barrier, but the physical barrier. Now, all of a sudden, Israel and Gentiles could fellowship one with another. Now, you need to remember, before this, all this new covenant, before the Lord Jesus done this work, a Jew would never, ever sit down and eat with a Gentile. Matter of fact, if they even came in physical contact with the Gentile, an Israelite would have to go and cleanse himself and bathe himself. He was considered to be contaminated under their mindset and their religion. But now here's what God's done. God took and removed the barrier, broke down the barrier that was between them, because both of them have now came by the, the person of the Lord Jesus and been reconciled to the Father. Now they're on the basis of the same platform, the same footing, all in Christ, and now here's what he's saying. He says, not only is there no more barrier between you and the Gentile or Israel and the Gentile, he says, now you can fellowship with one another. You can eat one with another. You can have worship one with another. You can praise him one with another. In other words, every barrier was removed between them physically. Why? Because every barrier was removed between them spiritually. Now remember what I'm about to say. The basis of all unity is truth. And so why could the Gentile and Israel now fellowship and worship together? Because the truth of the person of Jesus Christ was the truth that saved them. And they now had the same foundation. They now had the same faith. They now had the same understanding. And they had the same redeeming work. Now, some people says that, G that Israel does not have to be saved like you and I were saved. I want you to understand this. I want to make this as clear as I can make it. An Israelite or a Jew has to be saved in the same way that you and I were saved, and it's by Christ and Christ alone. It is by coming to the place the Holy Spirit has to break light on them like He had to break light on us. He has to draw them like He had to draw us. He has to save them by faith through repentance like we had to be saved by faith through repentance. And if that never happened, they're as lost as a goose in a windstorm. But when they come to saving faith, there's a sure foundation in which we both stand on. And now we can fellowship one with another. Why? Because we can fellowship with him. Let me tell you a story to help you understand it. There's a World War II story about a group of American soldiers that lost one of their comrades in battle. They carried this comrade to the closest cemetery they could find from the battlefield. It happened to be a cemetery that was at a Catholic church. The cemetery was fenced off. They walked up to the Catholic priest and they told, asked the Catholic priest, can we please bury our comrade in this cemetery? We want to make sure that we honor him in his death. The priest looked at them and he said to them, he said, folks, 
He said, I'm sorry, he's not Catholic. I cannot allow him to be buried in this cemetery. The soldiers, very disgruntled and very in despair, they, they walked away carrying their comrade. And they began to commune one with another. And they came up with what they thought was the best solution given the scenario. And so in the middle of, or in the night, when it got dark, they came back to the cemetery. And they went right outside the fence. They didn't go inside the fence. They went right outside the fence and dug a grave and buried their comrade outside the fence of that cemetery. As close as they could get that was not inside the cemetery. The next morning they were fixing to go off and, and we're not going to be back in that area. So they went to pay their final respects to their comrade. When they got there, they went and they looked. Remember, they buried him at dark. And they went and looked and they could not find the grave outside the fence. The grave was nowhere to be found outside the fence. The priest came out and he, they said to the priest, they said, Sir, listen, we want you to know we came and we buried our comrade outside the fence because we didn't want to go against what you said. The priest said, listen, I've been up half a night. And he said, I was absolutely distraught at what I told you. So he said, this is what I did. I came out, I saw where you had buried your comrade outside the fence. So all night long I worked and moved the fence. Now i got news for you, listen. Jesus didn't move the fence, he broke down the fence. He took down the fence. In other words, there's no barrier between us and God and there's no barrier between us and Israel anymore that are saved. And so you and I, you and I understand that you have the removal of our spiritual and our physical barrier. I want you to look thirdly at the purity of peace. Look at verse 15. Having abolished in the flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances for to make himself of twain one new man so making peace. Well, this term, abolishing in the flesh, the enmity. The word enmity automatically assumes there was a separation that was there. That Jesus had to rectify. That Jesus had to take place. And we need to understand the reality of that separation. In other words, because God is holy and because you and I were sinful, listen, you and I were separated from Him. That barrier, that spiritual barrier that we talked about a minute ago. But what was the reason for this separation? Well, here was the reason. Because the law identified or told us about the holiness of God. So in, in other words, the law, God gave the law, listen, not to save, but God gave the law to be the schoolmaster to bring us to the cross. God gave the law to condemn. In other words, Paul said, I wouldn't have known what sin was if it wasn't by the law. And so now the condemnation that you and I were born into was the condemnation we were born into. Why? Because the law condemned us. Because no man could live up to the holiness of God. And this was the reason for this separation. But notice what it says. Having abolished in his flesh being Christ the enmity. So in other words, whatever this law caused to bring condemnation upon you and I, here's what Christ did. He abolished the condemnation. He abolished the enmity. The, and literally speaking this way, because we came short 
of, of the glory of God because of sin, you and I were at enmity against God. The word enmity literally means to raise your fist up against as an enemy. And so in our spiritual realm, we were enemies against God. So here's what Christ did. Christ took all the condemnation of the law. He placed it upon himself. And when he placed it upon himself, Christ abolished the condemnation that was against us. So in other words, when you and I come to the person of the Lord Jesus in faith and repentance, we get in on what Christ did. And what Christ did is he took care of the condemnation that was against us because of a holy law. Now this does not mean Christ did away with the law. And I want to make that perfectly clear. He abolished the writing of the law. In other words, what the law brought, which was death. But he did not abolish the law itself. You say, well, preacher, I, I believe he abolished the law himself. Well, you don't believe the Lord Jesus. You say, what do you mean? Because listen to what Jesus himself said in Matthew 5, verse 17. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill for verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot nor tittle shall be in no wise passed from the law till as all is fulfilled. So in other words, the Lord Jesus, what made it so that he could abolish the condemnation of law? Because here's the thing. God gave the law. And God said that the law has to be kept. The law has to be kept in perfection. But you and I couldn't keep the law in perfection. The Bible says if we offend one point, we've offended it all. And so here's what Jesus did. Jesus came as man. Jesus came in our place. He walked up on this earth as man in our place. And Jesus fulfilled every jot, every tittle of the law. And therefore, when Jesus died, listen, he could rise. Why? Because because God said, hey, I've got a man that's kept my law. I've got a man that stood up to my standard of holiness. I've got a man who can now pay the price. I've got a man who can now satisfy my righteous demands. And because of Christ, the reason for our separation was taken away. Abolished. Christ in his flesh as man, abolished these ordinances that were against us. And this brought the reconciliation from separation. Notice what it says. For to make in, to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God and one body, the reconciliation from separation. You say, what do you mean, preacher? Here's what I mean. God took two, made them one. Israel, Gentile, made them one. Just like in a marriage, the two shall become what? One flesh. But at the same time, in a spiritual realm, God took two. You and I were separated from God. And he made us one. Because the Bible went on to say that Jesus is bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh. And so when Jesus Christ, in his flesh, abolished the condemnation that came by the law, fulfilling the law every jot and tittle, here's what the outflow was. 
we could be reconciled to a holy God and we could be reconciled one to another and the two would be one. So let me tell you how God sees you and I. He sees you and I just the same. He doesn't see one above another. Can I tell you how God sees you and I and how God sees those of Israel that's been redeemed? In the exact same way. You say, how does he see us all the same? Because he can only see us through the person that reconciled us, Jesus Christ. It's the only way he could see us. He can't see us any other way. Because if he saw us outside of Christ, then what did the Bible say? When Christ became our sin, what did God have to do? He had to turn his back on his son. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And can I tell you, even though I'm saved, I still sin. And so if you take Christ out of me or you take Christ out of you, then all that's left of me is the wretchedness of my sin. And a holy God cannot look upon sin, much less have anything to do with sin. So he sees us as one. Now I want you to look at something because, boy, I tell you, when I saw this, boy, it just, it, it just hit me. He says to make one, bottom verse 15, to make in himself of twain one new man. Focus on that word new. Now, I want to tell you what it doesn't mean, then I'm going to tell you what it does mean. Take your mind just a minute to an assembly line at a car factory. Every minute or every 10 minutes or whatever it may be, there's a new car coming off that line. And that new car comes off that line ready to be sold as a brand new created vehicle. But can I tell you something about that new car? It's new, yes, but it's just like all the ones behind it. There's nothing different than any other that's just like it. This word new does not mean that. This word new means new of a totally different kind. It's a word that simply means this. There's not been another one like it. In other words, God has made something new. And what has He made new? Notice what He said. He's made a new man, a new body. In other words, you and I as the church, and yes, those of Israel that saved is of the church. And He says, you and I of the body of Christ, we became new like none other that's ever been before. That's the reason the Bible says when He saved you, 2 Corinthians 5, 7, 8, you became a new creation, a new creature in Christ. And old things are passed away. And what? All things become new. Same word. Like none other. This is that reconciliation of a holy and mighty God. So no wonder Paul would come along to the church of Galatia and say these words. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. Now you say, preacher, are you saying he doesn't see male and female as separate? No, he sees us through Christ. Now I know the women live, folks. That's going to chaw y'all a little bit. I understand that. But I got news for you. God sees all of us exactly the same. He sees us as one body in Christ. And this is the glory of it all. 
He doesn't see me as a man. He doesn't see you as a lady. He sees you and I in Christ Jesus as His body, fulfilling His glory for His purpose and His will. He doesn't separate. Colossians chapter 1 verse 19. For it pleased the Father that in Him should all fullness dwell, and having made peace through the blood of His cross, by Him to reconcile all things unto Himself. By Him, I say, whether they be things in the earth or things in heaven, and you who were sometimes alienated enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath He reconciled. This is the work in which He done. This is what it means when it says that He abolished in His flesh, the enmity between you and I and you and God that came by the law. Well, look fourthly at the pathway of peace. Look at the bottom verse 16. So how did all this come about? That He might reconcile both unto God in one body. Now here it is. By the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. By the cross. So how did all this take place? Now remember, this morning we saw that it was by the blood. Here we see it's by the cross. Now you say, wait a minute, why didn't you just use the same term, by the blood? Because there's a different understanding here. In other words, when it says by the cross, here's what it means. Did he shed his blood? Yes. Are we saved by his blood? Yes. Is there remission of sins by his blood? Yes. But here he uses the term cross. Why? Because can you and I have peace one with another? Or can you and I have peace with God if self is still on the throne? You see, one of the things that kept Israel and Gentile believers separated is because of self. Because Israel thought they were superior. Gentiles had a hatred towards Israel because of how they'd been treated. And both of these come down to self. So what Jesus do? Well, he dealt with our self-life on the cross of Calvary. The Bible says he became sin. Now understand, it's not that he just became our sins. In other words, every act of sin that you and I committed He did take care of those. You better praise God for that, by the way. But the Bible says he became sin singular. Now, what is that talking about? It means he became our sinful flesh. Our sinful flesh was put upon him. And what is our sinful flesh? Self-nature. The nature of Adam we inherited from the fall. And so when Christ died on the cross, listen... Did he take care of our sins? Yes, that's the judicial. But I want you to know he he took care of self. And you and I can not only have victory over sin, but you and I can walk in victory over self. How? Two ways. you got to identify to the cross, the identification to the cross. In other words, you must come to the place of daily dying to self. That's identifying to the cross. But then you got to appropriate the cross. What do you mean? In other words, Romans 6. Romans 6 says, I was crucified with Christ, I was buried with Christ, and I rose with Christ. And he says, now reckon yourself to be dead unto sin, but alive unto God. 
You must by faith appropriate what the cross and what Jesus did on the cross for you and I is true of you and I. And so this is the pathway, the pathway of peace. Now listen to what I'm about to say. God gave you peace when he saved you. That immediate peace God gave you when he saved you took care of that barrier of condemnation between you and God. It's amazing when people come to the saving knowledge of Christ. I hear this over and over and over again. It's like somebody's lifted a weight off of me. What are they talking about? Peace floods their heart. They went from being enemies against God to now being reconciled with God. They went from having no communion and fellowship with God to now having fellowship with God. But see, there's a peace that carries you through moment by moment, day by day. And how much of that peace, the person of the Lord Jesus, you and I enjoy and you and I walk in is how much of self you've allowed him to deal with on the cross. Let me ask you a question. When you and your spouse argue, what's the root of every argument you ever had? Self. Self. You say, preacher, I don't agree with that. Well, think about it. Your wife says something to you or you say something to your wife. She challenges you, or maybe a coworker. She challenges you. I got some unmarried folks in here, so I had to change my <laughs> illustration. So your coworker challenges you, or your spouse challenges you, and they're going to prove you wrong, and they're right, and you defend yourself. Because you're going to prove you're right and they're wrong. Can I tell you what's at the root of both of those? Self. You know, it's funny. When me and my wife have those discussions. Is that a good way to put it? Amen. I'm trying to be political here. When me and my wife have those discussions, until we reconcile with each other, there's a breaking in our fellowship. And I promise you, there's a lacking of peace between us. And can I tell you that can happen between you and your Heavenly Father in one simple moment when you choose self over Him. But by the cross, he's dealt with that. Well, let's go on. I want you to look, fifthly, at the preaching of peace. Look at verse 17. This is what Jesus, and this is what the preaching of the gospel is all about. And came and preached, being Jesus, he came and preached peace to you which were afar off and to them which were nigh. The apostles, their preaching was called this in Acts 10, preaching peace through Jesus Christ. The ministry of the Holy Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit, what is it? 
Love, joy, peace. And I could go on. We go on and we find out that the kingdom of God is characterized in this way. Righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The Bible calls God the God of peace. And the Bible says of his people, we are to be people of peace. So here's the reality of it all. If you want to sum up salvation, if you want to sum up the gospel, if you want to sum up how you and I are to walk in victory over sin, the the issue comes down to one thing. That is how peace is realized in our life. And so all the preaching. So when you're preaching on sin and you're preaching about conviction of sin, what's the purpose? That you and I could have peace in our lives. Because I want to tell you something. If there's sin in your life, you're not going to have peace if you're saved. And so everything comes back to this term peace. And Jesus Christ preached repentance. John the Baptist preached repentance. Why did they preach repentance? Because they knew repentance is what brought peace. The participation of peace. Look at verse 18. For through Him, being Christ, we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. Now I want to kindly break this verse down for you just a minute. Who is this we both have access? Gentile, Israel. How does Israel have access to the Father? By what? One Spirit. How does Gentile have access to the Father? By one Spirit. So let me ask you a question. Does the, does the Israelite come to the Father in a different way than we come to the Father? No, by the same Spirit. There's no difference between the two. But here's what it means. We have participation by peace with him through what he does. Now, notice the wording here. For through him, there's Christ, we have access by one Spirit, there's the Holy Spirit, unto the Father, there's God the Father. So guess what? The triune Godhead is mentioned here. Why is that important? Because it takes the triune Godhead for you and I to enter into access, fellowship with a holy, righteous God. It is God the Son that saved us. It is God the Son that intercedes for us. But it is God the Holy Spirit that ushers us into His presence. And we have access, participation with the Father. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16. Listen to what it says. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. How can I come boldly before the throne? I mean, you think coming before a holy God, you would come in such a way that, listen, I I don't want to come before Him. I'm not worthy to come before Him. Oh, listen, but God's brought peace. God's brought peace. God's brought peace. And now you can come, what? In confidence before Him. Boldly before Him. Hebrews chapter 10 says a similar thing. Look at verse 19 of Hebrews 10. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiness by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God. Here it is. Let us draw near with a true heart of full assurance, full confidence of faith, 
having our hearts sprinkled from evil conscience, the abolishing of our condemnation, our bodies washed with pure water, the purity that comes by His work. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for He is faithful. That promise. You can participate through peace in fellowship with the Holy God. I remember when I was growing up, teenager, I'd done some stupid things growing up. And I'll never forget a few of these things that I'd done. I would find out that my mom or dad found out about them. And can I tell you something? I didn't want to come in their presence. Because I knew they knew what I knew. And what I knew wasn't good. But here's the glory of it all. Whenever we come to God, We come to God in a continuous, ongoing state of openness and repentance before Him. And here's what happens. You don't have to have any trepidation. You don't have to have any fear. But you ought to have all. You ought to have respect. But I don't have to tremble to come into His presence. Why? Because if I've come to Him in repentance and faith, moment by moment repentance and confession, He's always faithful to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And here's what it means. Every moment of every day, He's available. To you and I, we have access to Him. And we can do it with peace. Not worrying, but peace. How many times has Satan told you this lie? The way you acted today, I don't even know why you're trying to pray. That's a lie. Repent. Deal with it. Confess. And here's what happens. Your fellowship with God is restored. Peace. Peaceful access with the Father is always available to you and I. So let me sum it up. We have peace with God. That's our vertical. We have peace with one another. That's the horizontal. And I want you to listen to what I'm saying. And if you don't hear anything else I've said, I want you to hear what I'm about to say. If you're out of fellowship with someone, you're out of fellowship with him. 
If you've not tried to reconcile, or you're holding a grudge, or you're hanging on to anger, I want you to listen to me. You're out of fellowship with God. Because your vertical fellowship and peace determines your horizontal fellowship and peace. That's what he's trying to say. Gentiles, Israel, you're on the same footing. You're saved by the same Christ. You have access by the same Spirit. You have peace from the same God. There's no difference between any of you. So have peace one with another because you have peace with God the Father. My, what a God we serve. Father, I love you, I praise you, and I thank you. I pray that you've used this to help somebody tonight. Father, maybe someone will just have to be bluntly honest tonight. And they know within their heart there's bitterness, anger towards someone else. Help them to see that if they're truly saved, there's nothing anybody ever done to us that could even touch the hem of the garment of what we've done to you. And you forgave us in spite of us. And so, Father, for someone to say, I'll never forgive that individual. Father, they're confessing the depravity of their own hearts. Because if they've experienced forgiveness, They'll be empowered to forgive. And they'll have a desire to forgive. But Father, help us to understand that all starts with our peace with you. And when we have peace with you, we can have peace one with another. Work this in us. Work this through us. For your honor, your glory, and your namesake. In Jesus' holy, precious, and mighty name, I pray, amen.